The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyways, Mike, that's my tip on if you ever need to fake being sick, just yell real hard for about an hour, then call your boss so you'll sound the part. That's what I did for this podcast, Neil. Oh, we're live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today after your five-day bachelor party in Montreal. I guess before we get started on today, why don't you let me know, how was your trip? Well, it wasn't my bachelor party. To be, I guess to, that's true. To, yeah. <laughs> but I did go to a bachelor party, actually mm-hmm. just north of Montreal in Mont-Tremblant. So, uh, listeners, if you notice me having a strained voice, that's why. Uh, I'm not sick. Uh, I just was sitting in my car yelling for uh, for 10 minutes straight. Nice, nice. And you, you got off work today sick, which is terrific. So now you can record this podcast, which is, which is really good. But I'm glad to have you back. It's been a few days since I've talked to you. And uh, I came across a very interesting article while you were away. This is what I do. I'm like a little I'm like a little squirrel. Like while you're away, Mike, I find little nuts of cool information on the internet. That way, when you come back, I can impress you with what I found. Uh, and this is something that I found just kind of neat. It was an article about canceled serials over the past Ooh. 30 to 40 years. And I kind of wanted to maybe pick your brain a bit. I think I have 11 serials here and listeners you can you can play along at home but mike i want to ask you if you could bring back one of these to life which one would it be now you can see my notes here so you can read along i suppose but for the listeners at home the first is crazy cow from the 70s coated with flavored powder that dissolves when wet the chocolate variety made its own chocolate milk while the strawberry flavor cereal made pink milk so basically uh nesquik then we had <laughs> banana frosted flakes from 1981 with pieces of real banana baked into each piece making sure kids get something nutritious out of it. Uh, it did return to shelves back in 2019. I don't remember that. Uh, Waffle in 1979, basically just waffle-shaped cereal in maple and blueberry flavors. Cinna Crunch Pebbles in 1998. Uh, this is uh, the Flintstones version of the Fruity Pebbles, but it's the cinnamon-flavored ones. Oh, yeah. C- yeah, of course. Cinnamon Mini Buns in 1991. Uh, two years after Cinnamon Mini Buns, Kellogg's replaced it with their Mini Swirls Cinnamon Buns. Halfway through this, I'm pretty sure that uh, these are all American because I don't remember any of these. But... I remember the Cine Crunch Pebbles, but but go on, yeah, go on. Yeah, no problem. Smurf Berry Crunch from 1982, a colorful fruit-flavored cereal appealed to kids, but it had some unintended side effects, uh, most <laughs> notably making your poop turn blue, which is oh, awesome. Oh, I thought you were going to turn blue. Damn it. Mm, like, no, like no, Violet I... from yeah. um, <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, man, I can't wait for a food to do that to kids. That'll be the day. That'll be some good TikToks <laughs> right there. Ghostbusters cereal in 1985 of course created after the popular movie it did re-release in 2021 with the last movie too which is kind of neat sprinkle spangles in 1993 were a star-shaped sprinkle covered cereal uh, which sounds horrible like that would just cut the heck out of your mouth (laughs) star shaped cereal bad idea vanilla crunch which is uh, the vanilla flavored captain crunch in the 70s 
Ice Cream Crunch, which is literally just mini sugared ice cream cones as cereal from 1986. And finally, Hidden Treasures from 1993, which is uh, little corn squares. Some of them contained little fruit flavored, uh, I guess, bursts in them, if you will. Like there was cherry, <laughs> fruit grape, gushers and orange. Of, of, uh, of basically, cereal. Yeah, basically just gushers of cereal, which is awesome. And some were just plain, meaning that hmm. some of them were special and some weren't. So, Mike, from these 11 <laughs> cereals, are any of these standing out to you of something that you'd like to see come back and, and make it into your regular rotation? So uh, one thing that would definitely spark my interest would be Waffleos. But okay. I've had the Eggo, because Eggo does have a cereal, and they I've do. had it before. And it's not good. It, uh, I can't mm. describe what it tastes like, but it just takes, tastes really, really fake. Yep. And, um, yeah, I'm not about that taste at all. The Cinecrunch Pebbles, like I said, I do remember that back in the day mm-hmm. very briefly, but I do remember someone getting it. I certainly didn't get it, but I think one of my cousins probably got it and I was like, Ooh, I like the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do like the, the idea of the bursts, like the, the fruit gusher, like that would be interesting in a cereal because I am a big fruit in my cereal guy. I like putting blueberries in. I like putting strawberries mm-hmm. in as well. So that would have been treasures. Uh, yeah. Hidden treasures. It, w- it would be like finding a hidden treasure in my cereal bowl. Exactly. I love the idea of the hidden treasures one too. That was a number two for me. Number one mm-hmm. has to go to the banana frosted flakes. Okay. Uh, just because it, I I don't know if I need the frosted flake part because I can't do sugared cereal anymore. I'm just, my stomach can't do it, but I would love that in like, I love Raisin Bran. You and I are both big supporters of Raisin Bran. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could make it like incorporate it a little bit with the uh, Raisin Bran cereal and make like little banana chips in there too. Uh, I think that's a bananas <laughs> in a Kellogg's banana brand. <laughs> doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but I guess no. that that's what they could aim for. But yeah, I like the idea of there aren't enough banana flavored cereals out there. There's like the healthy ones. That's like granola and crap. I don't mean that. I mean like some healthy, like some mm-hmm. unhealthy ones, you know, kids cereal that uh, is also banana flavored. Not that's enough why I like. There. That's why I like honeycomb because honeycomb is like mm. a good bridge between like, you know, Count Chocula. Like, and like cheery. It's like not Cheerios, yeah. but it's not Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is worse for you than like eating ice cream. Yeah. Honeycomb <laughs> is just like there's sugar in it, but it's it's not that crazy at no. all. No. And it's like it's not too big. Like sometimes it's you know, the big flower shape. Like it's a little bit out there for a shape for a cereal. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the O's. Of course, we've discussed this before. I think we decided that the shreddy shape is pretty good. Unless uh, unless you uh, eat shreddies without soaking in milk too long beforehand. Oh, God. Uh, or you're one of those psychopaths <laughs> who, like, just uses water. Every so often you see somebody who, like, knows somebody who just eats their cereal with water. Those people can be wiped out of the gene pool. No, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. I refuse to believe anyone actually does that uh, willingly. Listeners, if you're out there and you're thinking, <laughs> I eat my cereal with water, please write into us. Let us know. Defend your case because we think you are out of your mind for doing that. <laughs> That's right, Neil. But um, I'm really glad you brought up some cereals today. But I'd also like to bring up uh, what games we are playing. Uh, Of course, the cereals that I'm eating are Honeycomb and Cheerios. But the games that I'm playing recently, and it's a segment that we haven't done in a while, are, uh, are quite a few, actually. I just platinumed MLB The Show 2020. That's right. Nice. Two years in the making. Uh, 0.2. Oh, thank you for the clap. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 0.2% of all people who played it oh have platinumed it. So that's a pretty uh, that's wow. a pretty tough platinum, I got to say. Uh, yep. I uh, still play Rocket League from time to time. Uh, I, I'm still trying to beat the Winnie the Pooh's Home Run Derby that oh, we talked yeah, about. Yeah. You can beat <laughs> in, that game? That game Yes. Ends? It's really hard, but you can beat it. Friend huh. of the show, Cam, is out. Is, actively trying to beat it so okay. i'll let you know if he beats it before i do uh i'm playing star wars knights of the old republic 2 for the first time i i of course played knights of the old republic 1 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, about last year around this time and completed it once again and played it before that about 20 years ago. So it's been a lot <laughs> of fun going back to it and, uh, and and playing and then playing KOTOR 2 is basically the same game. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's nice to be in that world. It's a little glitchy for the Switch for sure. I would yeah. say I'd recommend getting it on another console probably. <laughs> PC probably is where it's going to run best. I'm, yes. I'm so sad that that KOTOR uh, remake has been... Uh scrapped basically or kicked to 2035 or whatever the heck it was <laughs> yeah Man. that's the equivalent of scrapped in my book <laughs> uh i'm occasionally playing some lego star wars as well which is just a great game of course it's it's also a good game you can kind of pick up anytime mm. um still stuck at the last boss in elden ring mm. i'll be there for a while <laughs> uh and i'm trying to platinum bloodborne uh with friend of the show mm. matt as well and uh hopefully i'm gonna get pretty close to that soon Beauty, how many Platinums do you have? This is something that you and I have uh, started to kind of get addicted to, is kind of chasing (laughs) PlayStation Platinums. Now, I know that there's a lot of games out there that are like, 30 seconds, get a Platinum. So please do not recommend those games to us. Mike and I are going after actual Platinum games. Uh, I have one to talk about in a few minutes. But uh, if you get the Bloodborne Platinum, Mike, how many is that for you? Do you know? That'll be number five, I think, because Beauty. I have Sleeping Dog. Or, well, Spider-Man is my first mm-hmm. one, which Everyone is has probably, it. yeah, it's the easiest one for sure to platinum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sleeping Dogs would be number two. Uh, I got that because I was like, well, I love this game. I got to platinum it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I platinum Rocket League uh, a while back as well. Oh, wow. That one's qu- relatively easy. You just play mm-hmm. it for a while and you're, you're, bound, you're bound to get all the platinums because it's okay. just like certain tricks that you do that you'll just inevitably do in the game if you're playing online mm-hmm. um and uh mlb the show 2020 like that i just did and then mm-hmm. yeah bloodborne would be number five beautiful well that brings me into my list of games that i've been playing recently i like this becoming a reoccurring segment mm-hmm. just to kind of touch base and see what we've been playing you play a lot of games i don't know if you play all of these <laughs> games at once but i i much prefer to just play one game at a time maybe have one game on the back burner that i kind of pick away at uh, that's kind of the way that I like to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have many games that like I've been working on for years just because I, I just give up at that point. But <laughs> yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, you helped me finally finish uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed on PS4. I platinum that one. That is my third platinum trophy, I believe. I have Spider-Man, nice. uh, I have Twin Breaker, and then I have uh, Hot Wheels now. So going after my next one soon, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But that game is just phenomenal. I love Hot Wheels Unleashed. That is a great, great racing game. For anybody who's like not into racing sims and you want something a little bit more technical than like a Mario Kart or Crash Team Racing, and maybe if you miss the games like F-Zero or Wipeout, like this game does have that feel at times, especially just the long winding roads and like the long, the, the, the boosts and the, the cars crashing into each mm-hmm. other. And it's bright, it's colorful, the music's okay, but overall, like it's definitely my game of the year so far, even though it came out last year. I've adored it. I've probably played it close to 30 hours all in all. I'll find out later once I get my PlayStation uh, playtime. But happy to be in that top... What was it zero point five percent or something like that on the platinum trophy? List? Yeah, it was. It was pretty. I think it was a point seven. Uh, yeah. which is anything below one percent is very <laughs> impressive. So I'm yeah. glad I was able to uh, to see that platinum with you. I needed your help to play a split screen <laughs> multiplayer race against somebody, and that was the last one. And then we got that platinum trophy, so that was really good. Uh, recently, just on my downtime, I've been playing Ticket to Ride on PC. Mm. Uh, my girlfriend, I stole her login information on Steam. So, Mike, I'm slowly becoming a PC gamer. Oh, look at PC Gaming Neil with Roller Coaster Tycoon and <laughs> mm-hmm. Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, dude. I'm so excited with all of these like uh, board games that you can play on PC. It's great. Yeah. Like Splendor's on there too. I was like, damn, I'm gonna play this from now on. Uh, I don't need to play like actual video games on PC. I'm down to just play like board games and stuff. Like when yep. I don't have somebody to play with, I don't want to set up 
Because Ticket to Ride takes up like the entire kitchen table when you want to play it. Well, that's like um, Wingspan with me. That's why yeah. I play Wingspan on my Switch a lot because that's a very long and complex game to set up. Another game is Terraforming Mars, which a whole group of mm. my friends play. And they play that with Tabletop Simulator uh, oh. online. And okay. just because it's it's so much easier, you can just uh, play each other whenever you want. You don't have to go over to someone's house and, you know, set it up yeah. for an hour and then take it down for an hour. So, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, on, uh, the Internet's good for some things. Oh, yeah, the Internet <laughs> the internet has its functions every so often. That's true. That's true. But, yeah, I was going to play Ticket to Ride on PS4 because I was like, oh, maybe I'll go for the Platinum and Ticket to Ride. <laughs> but it was like 40 bucks or 30 bucks. Oh, I was like, wow. I, I don't know about that. So we have it. I had it on Steam or my girlfriend had it on Steam already. So I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just mooch off this. I just picked up Miles Morales on PS4, the Spider-Man sequel, and nice. I'm really enjoying it so far, just maybe an hour into it or so, and uh, it's, it's a lot different than the original Spider-Man game, uh, that's for sure. Like, you're playing as an inexperienced Spider-Man, which is kind of neat. Uh, really actually reminds me more of Ultimate Spider-Man, which is which oh. is cool. You're playing as, like, you know, that lanky, uh, not Peter Parker, obviously, you're playing as Miles Morales, spoiler alert. Um, and he's like, his, his suit is like, not that like high tech suit yet. His combat is not very good. His swinging is sloppy compared to playing as Peter Parker. So it's really neat to play. Uh, it's a really neat game to play. So I'm excited to see where it goes. That's going to be my fourth platinum. I'm hoping that's what I'm going for. So I'm chasing that one. It's a lot like the original Spider-Man game where you're, you know, going around, you're, uh, unlocking information towers and you have to beat a certain number of bad guys and close down a certain number of gangs and, and collect things along the city. So it's going to be very similar, I'm sure. But it's been about four years since we played Spider-Man. So it's been long enough away from uh, swinging around the city that I feel like I, I it doesn't feel repetitive yet. Mm-hmm. So glad to pick that one up. That was a lot of fun. And other than that, I've just, uh, I've just been trying to pick up a few games here and there. I've had some good luck at uh, our local thrift store. It's a value village here in Toronto. I picked up Narnia on GameCube, which is kind of cool. And I picked up the Namco Museum on GameCube, both $5 each, which was kind of cool. I don't see a lot of GameCube games very often. I know that some people out there have amazing luck and they find like Wind Waker and Melee for 10 bucks, but um, those two games, not too bad. And Mike, you brought me back a game from uh, Chile. You brought me back the Japanese version of Pikmin on GameCube. So now I have a Japanese GameCube game. Now you just need a Japanese GameCube. Mm, yeah, just to play Pikmin, which is probably the exact <laughs> same game, just uh, different subtitles. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that is what I have been playing recently. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll bring this back as a reoccurring segment, and uh, we'll see what we're playing in a couple of months. I suppose. That sounds good, Neil. All right, sounds good. Listeners, remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. Remember, supporters at the $5 level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. We will get into that in just a few moments. You can also check out our storefront on tpublic.com. Link is in the show notes. We now have three designs for you to go check out. But Mike, before we get into our Patreon topic of the day, I think it's time for our favorite segment. What do you think? That's right, Neil. It's time for a BB mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a message on whatever social media platform you follow us on or Patreon. Just like Andrew says, hey, just listen to your Cartoon Network episode. You said none of the shows have new games on current consoles, but there was a Samurai Jack game called Battle Through Time on Switch that's actually really good and faithful to the show. Worth checking out. Andrew, thank you so much for writing in with this because I did not know about that Samurai Jack game. Uh, I checked it out just before this episode, actually, and Mike, this game looks incredible. I highly recommend you check out Gameplay for it if you have not already. I did look at it, and yeah, it looks really, really good. And, you know, we we do our research as, as best we can, and I honestly, I'll admit, I just did not think that there was a Samurai Jack game 
the, for the new gen. So I, I didn't even bother looking that up. I, I looked up a bunch of other stuff. I thought there might be like more Powerpuff games and stuff like that. Mm. That's more, I guess, relevant. But I guess because Samurai Jack did have kind of a, a resurgence uh, with, the, with the, the new show that came out for the, just mm-hmm. that one season. Uh, that makes sense that they, they did it. And yeah, it looks fantastic. So we will definitely be checking that out. Thank you very much for, uh, for that little note there, Andrew. I certainly will be checking it out, Mike. There is a Platinum in this game on PS4, so I think I'll probably be checking out the PS4 version. I think that'll be my next one after Miles Morales, but we'll see. In a few weeks, we will see. (laughs) We will see. And uh, like I said, this is a little baby mailbag, so just one other uh, uh, mention here. We have Jude Hanlon from Patreon, uh, who writes in from London, uh, 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 from London, England, Neil. So he says, hey, lads, I'm a listener from London, and I wanted to say thanks for all your great content. It has been really interesting listening to the differences in game collecting between the PAL regions, specifically Great Britain, and across the pond. That's us. It seems to be a lot more expensive where you are. Yep. From my experience, anyway. I love the early 2000s nostalgia, as I am a bit younger than you, born in 2005, but I still cherish my memories with my GameCube and am so glad I have been able to get back into it. Once again, thanks for the podcast, and I can't wait to see what's in store when the library is completed. Us too. Yeah, no, uh, that's really cool. I'm really glad to see people born in the mid-2000s or even late-2000s getting into the GameCube. It's a lot like how, you know, I got into the SNES when I was in college, which that console came out before Mike and I were born, and like the N64 came out a few years after we were born. So really, those consoles aren't part of our part of our childhood, but we made it part of our lives eventually. So it's it's weird to think that the game consoles that we grew up with uh, the GameCube and now the Wii, even people that were born after the Wii came out are now catching up on that. So it's weird to think that the GameCube is uh, is another person's NES or SNES. But glad to hear that we're uh, we're, we're entertaining you and uh, educating you on the GameCube here in Canada. Need to hear about the um, the PAL regions though. I love I love the differences between the markets and the games and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna have someone from the UK on later on this episode, Neil, which is gonna be a lot of mm-hmm. fun to talk to them because they're uh, the covers of. Beyond Good and Evil are different uh, for PAL and North America. And it's always fun to have our friend of the show, Andy, on, uh, who is, of course, on the Crash and Spyro episodes and talk about kind of his life with um, with GameCube and with Nintendo and uh, and with games in general and how uh, a lot of his life was just focused on FIFA and whatever machine <laughs> could play FIFA uh, best. And that leads really well, Neil, into our Patreon topic of this week yes it does jude continues their uh comment here with a topic this week for our patreon topic of the day something i've always wondered about those across the pond what do you think about england football songs now for those of you that don't know our americans out here football means soccer (laughs) in case you aren't aware every football tournament there are a multitude of songs released with some better than others the most famous one by far UK number one on separate occasions is, and then uh, Jude sends us a bunch of uh, links here to uh, some good songs, some bad ones. Uh, so, Mike, I guess uh, this is more of a you topic, I think, because you know sports way better than I. Uh, what are your opinions on uh, soccer songs, I guess? I'm so glad Jude asked this. I was really mm. excited. As soon as I saw the links, uh, and the first link, I was like, well, it has to be uh, Three Lions. Uh, it's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. It's a it's a great song. It's a it's mm-hmm. I Neil. I listen to this just unironically without anything to do with soccer. Sometimes I'll put it on a playlist. Uh, I especially like the the '98 version. Uh, I'll mm. sing along to that all the time. And when England was close to the World Cup in 2018, when they're in the semis, that was a big song that was being played all the time. So yeah, I I, I love that song so much. Uh, and I agree, the terrible one. 
which is by uh, the Ant and Deck, uh, Dest or whatever. That that's we're on the ball. That song sucks. That was for World Cup 2002, and it's just like it's not a good song. I, it's it doesn't get you pumped up at all. The music video is very cringe as well. Oh, they're all cringe. I wanted to talk about the music <laughs> yeah, video. I love the music videos so much. They're all like 90s British music videos. They are so good. Well, the like the, the it's the first one, the Three Lions. Uh, it's coming home. Mm-hmm. That's basically done by the like the Kenny Kenny versus Benny. Of okay. like England, according to friend of the show Marty, who's a huge football uh, guy and knows everything about uh, the world of English uh, Premier League and and just international soccer. But uh, yeah, is he, "We're on the Ball" supposed to be a serious song or music video? Kind <laughs> so good. I mean, kind of. <laughs> I also like the uh, the the comment on YouTube for or like the, the description on YouTube for it is what a great song. Uh, uh, come on, England. <laughs> it's like, uh, they didn't in do too H- well that year. In HQ, high quality. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had no idea that this was a thing. Like, songs dedicated to, uh, what was it, tournaments? Or, um, yeah, songs Cup. dedicated to, to World Cup. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, I kind of, I guess, had a had an inkling that it happened. I don't know. I, I associate a lot of songs with moments in sports or uh, at sporting events. Um, like living in Canada, like the good old hockey game is one. Like I, I consider songs that are just basically ads for that sport. Um, there's like the good old hockey game, which is like a song about hockey. There's the take me out to the ball game, which is of course dedicated to the song of baseball. Um, I really like the um, the Toronto Blue Jays hype videos that they do before the games. I haven't been to a Jays game in a few years for some weird reason, but uh, it might have been a pandemic or something. But I remember <laughs> before every game, they always had some kind of a uh, like a hype video, like montage play. And mm-hmm. I think the last one I went to, it wasn't good because it was like a country song and country is just not hype for me. Um, but I remember like when I was 12 or 13, them playing saliva before one of the games. <laughs> it was uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, which is just a great Ladies hype song. <laughs> 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 we always uh we always have okay blue jays playing at jays games like i yep. consider that that's like the closest that's their thing. stadium song that one yeah yeah like that's that's like one of the closer ones to the, these kind of songs i would say it's like easy sing-along songs because yeah. these songs especially three lions that gets sung at in in soccer crowds all the mm. time like that's yeah. like and because just like like uh, soccer crowds have their chance and everything. The other sports don't really have that unless you're like in Japan mm. or Korea for baseball, then they have chance, but uh, ch- mm. like just chance in general at stadiums is, is cool. And they usually yeah come from some, from songs sometimes. Well, yeah, Jude, I'm, my mom is from England too. And uh, I, when I was in college, I was listening to uh, the dropkick Murphys once in the car for some reason. And uh, you'll never walk alone came on. And uh, my mom said, like, oh, yeah, they play this in, in Liverpool in the stadium, like, whenever they win. This is, like, their victory song. or so. I think she said, I think it was their victory song, yeah. even though it's a bit of a sad song. But, uh, yeah, like, they were playing that one, and that's, like, their stadium song when the when the game ends. So um, There's also Tessie. Uh, the I think that's yes. Dropkick Murphys, and that's about the Boston Red Sox. That's, like, yeah. the Boston's kind of song. Tessie, don't live without you. <laughs> Uh, they are very good at writing sports songs, those guys. Yeah. It's uh, like the da na 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 Hey! da na 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 Chelsea Dagger by uh, the Fratellis. That's the Chicago Blackhawks, the hockey team. I think that's their goal song. So, mm. like, uh, there's a lot of these songs that kind of got co-opted. But, yeah, I yeah. don't think we, we really don't have too many of these made-for no. sports songs like... Uh, uh, like England does. And it's funny because, yeah, pretty big names will do it sometimes, like New Order. Uh, for the, uh, I forget what, uh, 
what World Cup that was. It was sometime in the 80s, like 88 or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that's one of the other ones that Jude sent us, uh, World in Motion. That's like a definitely a better song. It's it's like just a, a, a good song in general. I would be open for sporting events here in North America to do this type of thing. Maybe they do try. It's just it doesn't hit me. Like like with a baseball World Series or an, a hockey Stanley Cup. Like I don't associate any specific song with any of those tournaments no, personally. It's, no. it's more like if you go to a game and you remember a certain song, that's kind of it. Other than, like you said, the, okay, Blue, let's go Blue Jays song. Or even when the Leafs score a goal, they always play that hype song. I don't... I'm, yeah, <laughs> that one. Yeah, some bands do try. Uh, last thing I'm going to say here: some bands do try. We do have the great Canadian band, the Zambonis, who only yes. write songs about hockey. They are trying to be that hockey band, and uh, God bless them because they are a great <laughs> band that everyone out there should go check out. Go check out the Zambonis. But we're not here to talk about the Zambonis. We are here to talk about GameCube games. So with that, Mike, I think it's time that we jump into the episode at large. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 111 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 488 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered all the Pixar games on the GameCube and talked about some of our Pixar memories in general. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about Ubisoft's big original IP from the 2000s. They had Rayman, they had Prince of Persia, Splinter Cell, and many other licensed IP, but they dipped their toes into a new IP that at first was not a commercial success, but as time went on, would continue to grow a fan base and become a cult classic on the GameCube. We're of course talking about 2003's Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Wait, just a kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We're talking about Beyond Good and Evil. So with that, Mike, what are your memories of Beyond Good and Evil from back in the day? Well, I definitely none from 2003. <laughs> I, I got to say that. I'm sure most other people too. Uh, but mm. I always got this game confused with a lot of other things um, because mm. I always got it confused with Beyond Two Souls because oh, just okay. the name, honestly. Uh, sure. And hearing that. I thought Beyond Good and Evil was like a, some sort of prequel or, or spinoff of Beyond Two Souls. And Beyond Good and Evil is also like a text. It's a, it's a book. Uh, that's where right. the name and a bit of the philosophical parts of the game come from. And we read that and or read parts of it in school, like in university. And so that's what I had the idea of in my head as well. So I didn't really know much about this game until maybe 20... 15 2016 a friend of mine uh was really big into uh into the game and uh i don't know how it came up in conversation but he's like you know beyond good and evil i was like, oh beyond two souls <laughs> he's like no it's uh like this game uh for um and he played on xbox i believe and uh because i think the hd game had just come out for xbox 360 right and was he was okay. playing on that and he's like yeah like like i'll show it to you and i saw it and i was like whoa this is really interesting um mm-hmm. there was something very new about it i guess and new but not new if you know what i mean uh yeah. it was it was really interesting to see and you could definitely see it was a 2003 kind of game not in terms of graphics i'm talking about but just in terms of um the first thing i thought of neil was matrix uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. It's got a Blade Runner kind of Matrix sci-fi mm-hmm. feel to it for sure. Yeah. And it's that green 
kind of tone that's throughout yeah. washed throughout the uh, the game. Very much like uh, very few games before this went with like a color palette almost, and that's a very common yeah. thing for films to do, right? You you want to light a film a very certain way, you want to colorize it a certain way, so you 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 get that effect. Like Blade Runner, for example, yeah, it's like a lot of dark blues and harsh kind of uh, colors uh, for contrast. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, Matrix is so much green. Everything is kind of tinted green and pushed up. (laughs) But um, uh, you didn't really see that for games or unintended (laughs) that would happen for games. But this was very much a choice as I was reading about this week. So yeah, Mm -hmm. Matrix, Blade Runner, uh, definitely that early 2000s sci-fi new metal kind of feel was was what (laughs) I got. But again, just really... Uh, really interesting of of a of a game to kind of get into. What what are your memories, Neil? Do you have any at all? No, yeah. No. <laughs> In two thousand and three, no. Like, and that is not any consumer's fault. Being no. we were ten years old, we were just getting the GameCube. Uh, you really do have to blame Ubisoft uh, for the terrible marketing for this game. It's it's not anybody's fault that we didn't hear about this game until, like you said, ten years after it came out. Because that's really this game is one of those slow burn games mm-hmm. that it is. 100 times more popular now than it was in 2003 in in Ubisoft's mind at this time they were they were really pumping out yes movie tie-ins but they were also still deep into Prince of Persia Prince of Persia yep. was really their bread and butter at the time as well as the Splinter Cell series and this game was buried under those games I think Beyond Good and Evil came out a month or two outside of one of the Prince of Persia games and uh, as we all know at in the next generation uh Ubisoft would move on to making just Assassin's Creed and Far Cry games. And so and now we're 10 years, almost 20 years now uh, past Beyond Good and Evil, and we have not seen a sequel. We've seen trailers. We're going to talk a lot about that later, I am sure. Uh, but in the last 20 years, there have been lots of Ubisoft employees and Michel Ancel himself, you know, they've admitted that the game was not marketed well. And that is uh, partially to blame for its less than half a million uh, sold worldwide wow. across four platforms. That is not good. That's, I mean, uh, like, this is a good way to compare it to the last episode we were, we were talking about Pixar games. And, mm-hmm. Neil, I think you mentioned like cars that sold 5 million across the board, Incredibles that yep. sort of sold 4 million across the board. And these were barely games for the most part. <laughs> I mean, obviously Cars was really fun and we enjoyed it, but it didn't involve three years of development that uh, Beyond Good and Evil did. No, exactly. No, this was a real game, like supported by a AAA publisher, by a, a real developer who he made, uh, Michel Ancel, you know, he made the Rayman series mm-hmm. and everything. So he was established. Uh, but this really was one of the final nails in the coffin for real publishers or AAA publishers and developers trying new ideas and like sticking with them. I, I, I know that like Assassin's Creed and Far Cry would become new ideas, but then they became annualized. This was a unique idea that, uh, that a creative mind wanted to make and it didn't go well and they just canned it. And they blamed the poor sales on the fact that the game was not good. The gameplay wasn't what people wanted. Maybe there was a female protagonist and that's not what gamers wanted. But really, it was just that they didn't they didn't market it. I'm just going to say that over and over again. Like I think of a game like that just recently came out, Death Stranding, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Kojima game. <laughs> if, if nobody marketed that game, that game was in every trailer. That trailer was in every uh, award game show and announcement show and everything. That game was everywhere yeah. in magazines, on posters, in game stores. Uh, YouTube ads, everything. It got it got the full marketing experience. If if Beyond Good and Evil had that circa two thousand three, we would be on Beyond Good and Evil ten by now. So really, that's what's mm-hmm. to blame here. But it's just too bad that unique ideas on this level don't get made anymore. They're kind of uh, they're, they're basically just 
put in a corner in the indie space and then that's where that's where they stand because like you said this game is gorgeous like you you said you saw it played on xbox uh the uh, hd port that came out which is a really good port i was watching youtube uh footage of that and it looks amazing mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. uh it's crisp it looks really good kind of what they've done with kotor uh like the, the remaster of that that's what it looks like yeah. they just sharpened up all of the uh, textures much more and... playable for present day yeah. really and, and like definitely. it's definitely the you know, uh, we'll get to our recommendations at the very end of this episode, but uh, mm. I, I, this is where I would recommend to play it on. It would be the yeah. HD version. I, I played it on the emulator um, for uh, for Dolphin. I played the GameCube version of it. It's it, 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 The textures aren't great, and it really takes you yeah. out of it at times because the story is so rich, but uh, obviously we'll get into that later. I actually played this game on GameCube. I bought it. That's I think I mentioned this on last week's episode mm-hmm. when we were introducing this game. I bought uh, Beyond Good and Evil earlier in the year because it's been on my GameCube backlog for literally 10 years probably when <laughs> I started getting back into yeah. GameCube collecting and I was checking out uh, Metal Jesus videos, Metal Jesus Rocks. He's a really big GameCube collector and he put he puts out really good Hidden Gems videos. And this was one of those games that he was talking about. So it's been on my list for, for 10 years. And I do remember uh, back in 2012, this game was like 50 bucks and I really should have bought it then. Yeah. Uh, so I bought it earlier this year for about $100, uh, $100 or so. And uh, unfortunately, it only got like maybe 20 minutes in, half an hour in, and it just kept skipping like it just wouldn't it would just say disc scratched or whatever corrupted Mm. disc i forget what the message was but i did i played the first half hour three times mike Uh, (laughs) it's a really good first half hour i really want to play the rest of the game so i have to get a a replacement disc at some point but um i can definitely see why it's such a standout uh, game on gamecube because it's got so many interesting uh gameplay mechanics that are like from a lot of different games like it's got stealth it's got combat like from zelda it's got a nice beautiful open world it's got that that sci-fi aesthetic like you talked about with the matrix and blade runner uh the characters are all really interesting like i fell in love with the voice acting and music like right away like within the first 10 minutes it's like oh my oh my god like the uh, jade is is terrific like whoever the pianist is in this game the piano is so good and like it actually feels good to play like the combat feels incredible you can actually really feel how this game influenced uh games that would come out in a few years specifically the arkham series like the combat of in this game which is not common in in many gamecube games is that you can you can fight one character and then transition to another one and like seamlessly you know be swinging your staff or whatever fighting them that's not something that a lot of games did back in the day we take that for granted now and i was like holy crap this feels like a prequel to an arkham (laughs) kind of combat where you know you're seamlessly fighting from from character to character like i mentioned earlier in the episode i'm playing uh miles morales right now on playstation 4 and and that's obviously like the pinnacle of that uh but it all really started with with games like beyond good and evil it was really a pioneer of that type of uh hand-to-hand melee combat which is really cool so uh i feel really bad that my disc didn't work i need to find a new copy but dude it was in such nice condition it was a hundred dollars <laughs> canadian i was like man when it when it didn't work i was so pissed because there were like no scratches on the manual no dents anywhere it was perfect it's funny you bring up arkham because mm. i was when i was playing this i was thinking to myself yeah there's so many games that this influenced like very very obvious and i'm just mm. making a list i made a list and Ar- the arkham series is on there Couple other ones: God of War, Fallen Order, uh, 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 Bioshock, Uncharted series, Deus Ex, Mass Effect. Mass Effect, so much so. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Dead Space, like the, the, so many of these games had direct influence from uh, Beyond Good and Evil. And I was even just, I found like actual quotes too, and like people talked about a lot of the game developers talked about Beyond Good and Evil. For me, it's like the 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 musicians band if you know what i mean right like it's like a band that you don't know of like a, a big star or um 
what's that guided by voices you always hear about these bands mm. but don't really know any songs by them and <laughs> you like just hear them get mentioned all the time by other artists i find beyond good and evil is the game for that it's always mentioned by developers it's always mentioned by yeah hardcore collectors um like mm-hmm. metal jesus like there's it, it's it's always like top of mind for someone who gets into a community like the gamecube because you mm-hmm. hear about it immediately that and like a couple other uh, games, but this one always sticks out as one that most people haven't played. Yeah, it's special on GameCube. For, there's something about it that it's just synonymous. Even though it is on Xbox, it's on PS2. It was later ported to uh, 360, PS3, and on PC. It's still considered in people's minds a GameCube classic for mm-hmm. whatever reason that is. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> quite sure what it is about the GameCube, uh, but it, it's just the best console of all time. I suppose is why a game that uh, I feel like was influenced by Beyond Good and Evil that you didn't mention is Pokemon Arceus that came out sure. earlier this year. Just with the photographing uh, in this game, you're you're given a camera at the beginning of the game, and you're sort of tasked to photograph animals around the planet and everything to kind of make credits or make money basically and eventually you're using that camera for other uh aspects in the plot specifically to like find the truth basically like you're trying to take pictures to to prove things which is a really neat mechanic in games i wish more games would do that i think of uh, life life is strange as well you have mm -hmm. to do that a lot in the uh in the game to kind of progress as you're always taking pictures and there's a couple others that i'm trying to remember um that you do like this a similar thing with taking pictures as like a journalist uh, i mean you could even like talk about watchdogs for example just using technology to progress but yeah again just it influenced so many games I love it when uh, a game can be sort of like a pacifist route where you're not necessarily using a weapon ever. You're just using, like you said, a piece of tech, like a camera. They do this a lot in survival horror games is what I think about, like uh, that Outlast game that we Mm, played a while ago. It's it's like where you only have a camcorder. Uh, That's more of a survival horror game where you're using like the flashlight and, and other things on there to kind of survive. Uh, but this one, it's it's basically like your weapon. Like your weapon yeah. is the truth, which is really neat and something that's quite timely uh, in today's uh, society where nowadays people can post pictures in a second and, and right there it's all on Twitter. Like this game was made pre-social media, which is neat. I would love to see a game like this come out today where we have all of these Facebooks and and Twitters and, and TikTok and everything else. Like it would fit so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny she's using like a Polaroid camera <laughs> and the camera's even, uh, it's it's featured on the front of the game. You look at the case. She's holding the camera. That's basically her sword on the front there. So yeah, uh, it makes it it makes it really neat. It also would be interesting. Like like I know that we were a couple of years ago just talking about new Smash Bros characters, and Beyond Good and Evil would be such a great game to put into Smash Bros. But Jade has her camera. Yeah. She doesn't really have. <laughs> she does have a staff at some point that she fights with, which I guess would be her weapon. Yeah. But it would be like, how do you incorporate this camera into Smash Bros? You could definitely do it. Like like the Flash <laughs> is like a counter or mm. something. Like like yeah. that would be your counter. I don't know. Like 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 Peach holding. Toad up, uh, same kind of idea. Yeah, that's a yeah. great. I would love Jade and uh, and Paige in uh, yes in, in Smash. Uh, but before we do have a guest coming on, Neil. But before we have them on, I want to just talk about the plot a little bit to kind of sure. get people understanding what the hell this game is. Uh, so you play as Jade, as we talked about before. She's a, an intrepid reporter who is an orphan because why not? Uh, <laughs> she lives in a lighthouse and has a pig uncle uh, named Paige. Uh, mm-hmm. And Paige provides the comedy and is kind of the comedic relief in this game. Uh, Jade is, uh, she's probably like in her mid-20s. She was originally supposed to be a teenager in the early demos of uh, of this game, but they kind of changed her. Uh, also nice to see a female character in the early 2000s that's not overly sexualized. Uh, yeah. That's very rare. Uh, she lives on the planet of Hillis, uh, which is under attack by these aliens known as the Doms. 
Uh, and then there's the alpha sections, who are basically the government slash kind of army uh, at the center of this conspiracy, uh, uh, because there is a big conspiracy that's going on. They're they're protecting uh, the people of Hillis, but uh, there's you know something shady going on with them, and that's what mm-hmm. Jade is kind of roped into. Uh, she gets contacted by an underground group of rebels, of course. Uh, she tries to find the truth behind the alpha sections, and uh, you know take a million photos while she's at it. Yeah, no, it's a really neat plot, and it gets in, it, extremely dark and somewhat complicated, especially mm-hmm. if, if we played this game when we were 10 years old. I certainly wouldn't have understood what was going on. I still had trouble understanding it now. But the government propaganda is really something that stood out to me, just the constant news headlines going out and, like, the radio that you can always hear their leader. Very 1984, yeah. very, like, V for Vendetta. At first I thought it was John Hurt, uh, John Hurt's voice oh. over the intercom. It just sounded it like him. From, yeah. I was like, is that him? But it, it's not. He's not credited in it. I can't, I can't remember the actor's name. But, uh, yeah, it's a really neat plot, really neat setting. I love the planet. I love the characters. I like that some of them are just anthrop- anthropomorphic creatures. Like, you've got um, a cow is like your bartender. Uh, you play against a shark with like, that air hockey game against a shark. You've got, like you said, your Uncle Paige. There's the monkey. Uh, well, what's the monkey's name again with the hat? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Um, All I know is the rhinos. The rhinos are yeah. the best characters mm. in the game. <laughs> He's iconic. I, I love the characters in this game. And, and what it brought me, what it made me think of, one more game to compare it to, mm-hmm. and then we can bring on our uh, our caller for today. But really, this game to me feels like what Star Fox Adventures should have been. <laughs> yeah, even with the staff. Like, yeah. yeah the telescope pl- staff, yeah. I was playing it. Like, the characters, they're all really good. The voice acting is all great and somewhat iconic, really. Like, it sounds like banter that you'd hear in a Star Fox game. You've got this Jade character who could have been Fox or, yep. or who are Crystal or whoever, uh, you know, fighting and and fighting against a race of people. And there's there's politics and it's just a little bit more of an adult game that I feel like could have could have done well with uh, with Star Fox. But nonetheless, I'm glad that it was a unique idea and not just based on an existing franchise because. Yeah. At this point, I'm just exhausted with existing <laughs> franchises being given all the good plots and, and actual movies and games being left with nothing. So, Neil, you, um, you also just gave me a brain blast uh, a little ooh. while back there with V yeah. for Vendetta in 1984. Okay. Uh, you, I guess you probably knew this, but I forgot that John Hurt is like the main guy, Winston Smith, in 1984, the movie. Yep. And then John Hurt is big brother in <laughs> V for Vendetta. That's right. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> it's full circle. Yeah. Did, uh, you, did you not realize that until now? No. I, I mean, oh, like, cool. I knew that he was in both, but I just like didn't put the two and two together. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, this movie is very Big Brother and uh, and I guess V for Vendetta as well. And and again, it's like it's like in this era of social media and everything, it we're kind of at that point where we're constantly getting news headlines from our government in our houses with our phones. We're getting you know, alerts, news alerts by whatever our prime minister or president are saying, and uh, it's in our homes, and they're probably watching us too. But uh, nevertheless, Mike, I still do not have a pig uncle who can fix my uh, my gliders, which is too bad. Damn it. But uh, you know who might, Neil, is Toonie Twirls, uh, uh, a.k.a. Kira, who will be coming on today to talk about this game. We know that she's played it and is very excited to come on and share her thoughts. So, Kira, our first question to you, is who is your favorite character in Beyond Good and Evil? A pretty basic choice, but I'd have to say Jade, the main character. Sure, sure, fair. Yeah, I think she's a really, really cool protagonist. I love her design. I love how protective she is over like the the young children that she protects, sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. She's a very unique protagonist, I would say, in like especially mm. early two thousands. Uh, Neil and I mentioned already that she's definitely uh, one of the few non-overly sexualized women in uh, uh, in video games at this time. Mm. Uh, and yeah, definitely, she really stands out compared to a lot of the uh, a lot of the protagonists. 
The Laura Crofts of the 2000s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was the thinking. The pointy but... <laughs> boobs of Laura Croft. Yeah, that's a, a part of why I meant by, like, I like the design. It's not all, like, overly sexualized. She just looks like a person. <laughs> and she acts like a person, too. And that's a big, big change, I would say, from other games at this time. She acts like a, uh, like you and me. Like, uh, she has a lot of emotion. And this is something that is really different even for like today uh because most of the characters you have are usually these kind of hard-edged stoic characters you think of obviously batman and bruce wayne you think of even ellie and joel in um uh in last of us you, you think of really any uh character in big games today and they're kind of just the the faceless lifeless character and it's everything around you that is the you know the world building and part of the world but jade has a, a pretty big personality and a really interesting one yeah, I was really like just invested in a character. I really wanted to see her succeed, and that's that's one of the signs of a really good game, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, her des- her design and everybody else's design in the game too are all really good. Like it's a lot of an- like anthropomorphic animal characters who can also speak, but there's also a lot of human characters. There's like there's robots, there's alien characters. There's so many different species of characters that all just fit together so well. Uh, even though you've got Jade, who's basically just a regular human woman and uh it just it all fits together so well and all the voice acting works like there's different accents too like every Mm -hmm. character has their own personality they even change throughout the game too like they'll start off being somewhat peaceful and everything and then when a certain message from the government comes out now they're all angry which is very real yeah like it's very like common with what you see like in the world today like something happens politically and everybody's as like this herd mentality the whole world changes and i love how beyond good and evil world and in hillis has has that kind of uh that kind of characteristic too it's really well done the way that they they did that which also makes it stand out quite a bit from zelda which this game obviously takes a ton of uh influence from uh i really liked how the characters in this game feel like they have a little bit more personality than some zelda npcs do like as much as i love i love zelda games as much as the next person but sometimes you feel like you know you've just got these dancing characters (laughs) in the city square over and over again this one feels like these people actually have lives and they actually you know have a history and everything and you want to know more about them uh they do a really good job of fleshing out those characters quite a bit more yeah it's even stated on the back of the box like um it's not a quote from like the actual developers or mocking people or anything but like an ign quote saying like it's zelda for grown-ups which is (laughs) interesting that is an interesting like move to make also was was wind waker released at this time or had it like it was around the same time which is why the comment about it being for grown-ups does kind of rub me the wrong way but yeah, I wanted to ask you a lot about Wind Waker's relationship to this game, actually, because Michelle Ansel has said on record that they they did have a lot of traversal and exploration baked into this game at first, but they took it out because of the criticism around Wind Waker's sailing system. Oh, really? um, okay. That makes sense, actually. It does. In the game uh, Beyond Good and Evil, one of the criticisms that I heard behind it was that it's unfortunately a little short. Yeah, that's my main issue. Exactly. And that's because they took out a lot of those, not sailing mechanics, but hovercraft mechanics, I suppose. So do you think that this game might have been commercially a bit more of a success if it had kept those parts in? I think so. I mean, obviously, it runs the risk of being too similar to that game, but... Sure. Yeah, it is, it's definitely too short. And I can see now that you pointed out, like, where the corners were cut. So I think that was a bad move to make, honestly. Yeah, I think this is very much... Um probably a ubisoft move in terms of like the 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 production of it because as we said earlier this is three years in the making there was three years of development time on this game 
And I mean, now, like, what, Breath of the Wild 2 is like seven, six years of development? But basically 70. <laughs> and only like 30 people developed this yeah. game, too. Like, the team is just so small compared to hundreds of people who developed AAA and games And I think today. Ubisoft is really kind of being like, come on, guys, like, let's get this thing out. Like, we're, we're waiting here. And yeah, because three years in the early 2000s was a mammoth amount of time for a completely new game, you know, with, with mm-hmm. no predecessor or anything. Yeah, I feel bad for like the developers working so long on this, and then it just didn't sell very well. I, I feel bad about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I, although they have like, I feel like they've been emboldened since because of the you know the the great critical acclaim it's had out like during and after now, and like people talk about Beyond Good and Evil a lot. And that brings me to my next question yeah. for you, Kira: Is how did you kind of first hear about this game? I was working on like a wish list of GameCube games to collect once I got back into collecting and this was one that was popping up on a lot of like the best of lists so and mm. I asked for it as like I made a list of games I wanted for last Christmas I think it was uh, that my that my parents could just pick like one or two from and buy me as a present and this was one of them so nice yeah I mean this is uh it goes for you know quite a bit now which is uh kind of crazy it's gone way up in price for the GameCube especially in the last year or so so you definitely got it at a good time but what are your first impressions when you kind of finally picked it up uh, last year? It's interesting because at first I was really impressed. I was like, wow, this is like, because again, it's quite similar to Wind Waker, as we were saying. So I was like, is this, is this the game that I've always wanted? <laughs> like, but it wasn't like that good the more I played, but obviously still a great game, but like not as impressive as it first appeared, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does have like clear similarities to Zelda right away. And even I, I compared it because I played it earlier this year as well for the first time. Unfortunately, my disc was corrupted. So I only got about the first half hour in or so, which mm-hmm. is too bad. I need to get a new disc. But I was saying to Mike that like the combat in this game feels very modern. Like it has, you can tell how it influenced the games that would come out just a few short years later, like the Arkham series, how uh, with Jade, she's got that kind of staff, that stick that she uses, and she can fight one enemy and then easily transition to the next one. It's very fluid. Did you find that like the the combat in this game was somewhat similar to the kind of games that we get today? I guess, I mean, I don't play many modern games, to be honest. So <laughs> mm, Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it did feel quite seamless. The combat was nice, which is interesting because when I was just reading some stuff about it, that was one of the main criticisms at the time, that people didn't like the combat, and I'm not really sure like where they're coming from. Interesting, because that's the part of the game that I like the most, is because like we've seen a lot of GameCube games now, and a lot of them are very much hack and slash one character, walk to another character, <laughs> hack and slash, or fight that character. And this one, it's just very... It just smoothly goes from character to character, and it's such an underrated thing when you think about games now, but back in the day, that wasn't really very common, unless you were only playing the AAA games like the Zeldas um, and maybe games like Devil May Cry and God of War, but to have this this new franchise come out of nowhere and just nail it on the first try was was really cool to see. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's rare for me to pick up a game like nowadays, like for GameCube when we're talking about all these different games. And it's very rare for me to not have a con or like not have a con be the camera and the combat. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> basically these little games, that's just how they were, right? And it's no fault of their own. It's just how other games were made. Of course, you kind of use other games as a template. But this definitely was a lot of fun to play. And that's a great point you said, Kira, about how at first you're like, this is amazing. This is one of the best games ever. And it does go down a little bit. Uh, I think one part of it is probably a bit of the repetition, uh, right? There's yeah. there's not a whole lot new things going on after like hour three of this game. I found the collecting 
to be a little much too after a while. Uh, it kind of was like, okay, I get it. Same thing. Okay, I get it. Like I'm taking pictures all the time. It's it, it felt like I'm kind of running around a lot, almost uh, almost like a banjo style collectathon in that <laughs> sense. And I was like, well, I don't really want this to be part of the collecting. I want this to just be me going through this game and learning more about the story. And even with those cons, I think the game is still great because the story is still interesting enough that you want to get to the end and and see what happens. Yeah, there's not quite enough variety with the side content. Like, I think the most of it is taking pictures of stuff, and it's yep. like, it's like all these pearls to collect, which you can, which you need some of them to finish the main story. But there's like, there's lots of optional ones as well, so there's not quite enough just variety, I suppose. Yeah, you either love the photography mechanic or you don't, and if you don't like it, you're not going to like this game. But for some people, that's a that's a fun thing in video games. Like Mike and I talked about that, how it how it does compare to certain games that we've played today like pokemon arceus or even older games from back in the day like pokemon snap where all you do is take pictures (laughs) of things it's an interesting idea to pad it out but even just without the photography section like even just side missions in general in this game are somewhat light they've got that one air hockey game that's kind of cool but oh yeah that's fun (laughs) yeah that's it's kind of cool like they've got the hovercraft racing too which is really neat um but it would be nice if they had a few more side missions in there which again a game from 2003 this is very much like around the time that gta was just starting to get into open worlds as well so developers were still learning what to do Uh, i think that if they had come out with beyond good and evil 2 in the 2010s you'd probably see a way bigger world and especially with ubisoft they're like the masters of making you know far cry and assassin's creed and watchdogs so they could definitely have a field day with uh with the beyond good and evil universe but uh we're still waiting for beyond good and evil 2 oh, yeah, after what has it been like 14 years since they announced it we said i think a long time yeah and do you think we'll ever get beyond good uh, and evil 2 kira honestly no like, I was just mm. thinking about something. I thought you might ask me, but just like it's been so long, and I don't know. Even like I think all we have is like a trailer, right? And yep, it, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't look very promising. No, but I mean that's not, that's what I say it won't come out, but it doesn't look very good to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because I thought up until this week as well that it was just a trailer because I like you remember seeing the um I think it was 2017 or 2018 was when that trailer dropped at uh, at E3 and everyone's minds were blown and then for the last four or five years. It's been pretty much radio silent, except for Michelle Ancel saying, I'm leaving Ubisoft. Uh, the game is in good hands, which no one believes. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I believe, I believe it was last month that it was actually reported that uh, people have started playtesting the game. Oh, really? That's interesting. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> I'll take it back. It, I could be totally wrong on this, but like, I'm pretty sure I, like, I've, saw, I've seen some YouTube videos of, like, they could be totally fake. I don't know. But it's like gameplay of Beyond Good and Evil 2 being tested. So... The game might actually might actually be closer than we think. Um, whether or not it comes out ready to go, or we're going to get another Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven situation where it comes out completely broken and then is fixed in a year or two, I think that's the more likely story. Yeah. Unfortunately, that we'll see. Um, honestly, like the CG trailer that they put out a few years ago was cool, but it was not what the game is going to look like. It it almost felt like that they should just turn this into a movie instead of a video game franchise or something, but. Um, we'll see. Time will tell in a few years if that game does come out and if it's good. I'm I'm very interested to see how well it does because the sequel was teased at the end of Beyond yep. Good and Evil. So they have that post credit scene with uh, with Paige having that I guess kind of organism coming out of his hand or something. Spoilers for the end of Beyond <laughs> Good and Evil, but you've had 19 years to play it. But uh, it's just it's just so sad when you see games, movies, TV shows end on such a cliffhanger and then they just get stuck in this development hell for two decades. Yeah. It's just what worries yeah. me is that the trailer just doesn't look like Beyond Good and Evil. It looks like something completely different. It looks like Fortnite. 
uh, realistic. Portrait. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that was one of like kind of the the first thoughts when I saw that. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I didn't want to like deride it too much because it's just a uh, non gameplay trailer. So you never know what those are because those are can be really anything. It just to mm. to honestly have the developer stall for more time. Um, <laughs> but I I would like to see it come back in some way. I'll we'll talk about it later later on in the show, but. Um, uh, I, I think we have a chance of seeing Beyond Good and Evil live in, in some uh, way, shape, or form. Uh, and you said, Kira, of course, you played it on the GameCube, so you haven't played the the remastered version then, right? No. Uh, how did you find playing, I guess, the GameCube in terms of uh, the, the visuals and everything, the graphics, the textures? It looks good for the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have much to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, when I, I I had only ever played the remaster, so I think I kind of went into it uh, seeing what I saw about like five or six years ago, and then seeing it now, I was like, oh wait, this isn't the right one. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I guess this would be the two thousand three one. It's yeah. really just the graphics and textures that are upraised, but it, that's about it. It's a good looking game. Yeah. Like it, it hasn't aged perfectly well because it's not quite like a cell shaded game it's it's got a bit of a cartoony effect to it but they are kind of going for photorealism in a way it's it's a sci-fi uh game i was gonna say movie but it feels like a movie and that's the reason why so many people like it and that's why the game has a five out of five out of five four out of five sometimes nines out of tens uh it's because of the story really it's not so much the gameplay so i i guess kira have you have you beaten the game like what do you feel how do you feel the story went in this game because that's really where this game shines I think this might be unpopular. I mean, I do, I will say, I do like the story overall. But what did, what it seems quite strange to me is that the game seems to think it's more like, I suppose, deep than it actually is, if it makes any sense. Because, like, looking at the title, Beyond Good and Evil, it seems to imply like some sort of moral ambiguity and that sort of thing. But it's not, it's not that deep. It's like the good guys are very much good, the bad guys are just mm-hmm. bad. And even if they are hiding how bad they are, they're still, it's not like, it's not like morally complex, if you know what I mean. It, it's interesting that you bring up the title because I read an interview uh, from Michelle Ansel and uh, the original title of the game was supposed to be Between Good and Evil. And there was a reason for the change. And he says, quote, for me, the meaning of this title is that you are always in the middle of an internal and external conflict based on our conception of good and evil. And in this game, in our world, propaganda thinks in our place, tells us these things are our enemies. These things are our friends. When you go beyond the appearances, you discover your own truth. That's the theme of the game. And the marketing finally accepted the title and just replaced between with beyond. Mm. Uh, which fits better with the vast universe and story. But I definitely see what you're saying, where it's like there's a very clear-cut line between who's good and who's bad. It's it's mainly just that you have to go, I guess, beyond what you're being told because the game is very heavy on political propaganda and mm-hmm. you're using your photographs and your exploration to prove that you're, the, the society is being lied to and then that's how there's like a revolution at the end and everything and you find out all the lies that are going on. So you have to go beyond the right and wrong of society to kind of win, I suppose. That's sort of what they're going yeah. for. Yeah, that's a bad way of putting it. It is a very philosophical game though, or title obviously, based on the title alone, Beyond Good and Evil being the... um. What so is it's that, a, a book, Mike, Nietzsche. or a poem? It's Nietzsche. Uh, Friedrich, yeah, Friedrich yeah. Nietzsche. Because we had to read that yeah. in school. Story. <laughs> mm. We should have just played this game instead. <laughs> I know, we should have. <laughs> I, I totally agree with Kira on that, on that point. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. You're 100% right. And that kind of leads into a, a bigger theme of this game, which is that it's kind of too ahead of its time. And 
by that I mean it just the technology just wasn't there mm-hmm. for them to make the this game fully realized. I I like that they tried. I like I love that they risked everything and created this game, which was yeah very much a movie. So much like a movie that the soundtrack and the sound design was all done by film people who had never worked on a video game before, which I thought was really interesting because that was one of my favorite parts about the soundtrack was or about the game was the soundtrack. And how it was very much mood cued, which is something you don't see that often in games other than honestly, like the Zelda and Mario games, like most other games kind of fall flat on that even today. And so, yeah, Kira, what do you, what were your thoughts about the soundtrack? Oh, I was supposed to say that's definitely yeah. a highlight. Some really, really good um, songs. Um, there's one that plays in the bar called Propaganda. It's, it's a really good mm-hmm. one. I'm uh, I'm personally a f- uh, f- uh, uh, my favorite is the reggae songs that play <laughs> while uh, you're talking to the Jamaican rhinos. <laughs> oh yeah, I just love the pi- I just love the piano theme in the game. That that's what I like. I I can't I don't know what the title is called. There is like an annoying sort of riff that plays. After a while, it gets annoying because every time you upgrade, I think it's when you upgrade gear or when you find something, it plays like the same five notes. I think it's supposed to be like the like the Zelda sound of Zelda opening, opening a chest, yeah. basically, and it's just... But it's not as iconic. Yeah, it's yeah. not quite as iconic, and it does get irritating <laughs> after a while. Um, but yeah, I love the reggae. I'm, I'm on Mike's uh, Mike's <laughs> thought process there. That reggae island is amazing. What would be your favorite level, would you say, then, uh, Kira? What always stands out to me, and this is, is a more general answer, I suppose, is just the self-sections, just how intense they are. Mm. They are, like, extremely... like that, And that's uh, just a big part of the game too is that there is a bit of variety we talked about how there's not a massive variety for gameplay but there is a variety on kind of difficulty i found like sometimes Mm -hmm. there was a lot of stuff going on and i was you know i had to kind of be fully immersed into the game and other times i could kind of just sit back and listen to piano (laughs) uh, music play yeah it depends where you are it can be very chill but it can also be like whoa i gotta really concentrate on this yeah Which isn't a nice variety, I suppose, but perhaps a bit jarring. I'm not sure. It depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about the uh, how about the boss fights in the game, though? Did you like those? Because those, again, very similar to like a Zelda boss. Like, I felt like I was watching Twilight Princess boss fights at time, especially the last one where you have this kind of it looked like Majora's Mask in like a scorpion body. Like I just felt like everything was so Zelda y. Did you did you were any of the boss fights standouts for you? Honestly, no. I don't really remember a lot of the boss fights. Mm. Is that is that my thing to say? <laughs> no, it's totally no. fine. I I like boss fights in games. Like I would play. That's why Shadow of the Colossus is one of my favorite games of all time because it's just boss fights. <laughs> um, so anytime you get to like yeah, no, I love I love boss fights too. Um, obviously you're mentioning Zelda. A lot of the Zelda mm-hmm. fights are really good. It's iconic, iconic boss fights for sure. But yeah, I mean, they kind of do blend together a little bit. For me, it was more so the last one was my favorite one because it was it just had like such a creepy... There was a voice actor to it. I'm not sure who it was supposed to be, but it was... I don't know, it was just really creepy, like the way he talked to you. It felt like more like a Resident Evil boss fight mixed with a Zelda boss, oh, which yeah. is really cool. But final boss fights are, are typically pretty iconic, so... Yeah, I remember, I remember the last phase in particular where it was like... I, it took me forever to to get that correct because like it does something weird where like it reverts controls or something i might be remembering that wrong but mm, sounds like something from uh eternal darkness or something that's kind of cool oh yeah of course <laughs> I, I, I i didn't make it to the end for this uh, i i got pretty far but uh i i well i knew about the consp- i knew about like the ending already because i played it uh, a while ago but uh, i didn't i didn't make it this time unfortunately and i'm sure lots of other people did not because mo- a lot of people as we said did not play this game when it came out and we talked a little bit about our reasons of why we think it failed, but Kira, why do you think this game really did fail on launch? I'm just not sure how you market it to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's like it's it's quite 
I don't know, I just feel like it appeals to a very specific audience. And I don't know, like, they shouldn't have changed it to be more commercially appealing, but yeah. that's... Yeah, it's just how it is. It's a pretty obvious reason why it didn't sell, and that's typical. That's honestly just because 2003 was a really good year for video games. A, B, this game came out on December 11th of 2003 in North America, at least. Um, so that right away, they've missed uh, Black Friday, which is a really big holiday in America. They've missed the no- the Thanksgiving Day weekend uh, there, which is when a lot of video game sales happen. Um, and the retailers knew that they decreased the price of Beyond Good and Evil not long after coming out by up to eighty percent. So this game went from oh yeah, I read that. Yeah, this game <laughs> went from about fifty dollars to down to twenty basically overnight yeah. or within a month, which is not good. Uh, and I was looking at two thousand three because I was like, man, what games come out came out in two thousand three? Like, what were the big selling ones? And it's uh, Madden, which is always a big one. Madden NFL two thousand four, so football. Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire came out. Uh, Need for Speed Underground was out. Wind Waker was out. Grand Theft Auto, yes, Vice sir. City, Mario Kart Double Dash, Tony Hawk Underground, Enter the Matrix, and Medal of Honor Rising Sun were some of the best-selling games of 2003. So this new series coming out with a, a female protagonist, it's not exactly an action game, it's more like an action adventure, or it's like an adventure exploration game, and Ubisoft were too busy marketing Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, uh, Splinter Which Cell. Came out- I was going to say, that came out this year, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it came out three Which weeks. It's a really good game as well. Before... Uh, before uh, uh, beyond good and evil which is just insane to me that they would put those two <laughs> together very similar kind of games and both by ubisoft like that was a, a huge miss on in that uh, on that end but i know that beyond good and evil was supposed to come out quite a while before so they probably had the prince of persia date but yeah i totally agree with you kira i think it's an impossible game to market and uh, a really tough game to put a lot of time and effort behind without really knowing what it's going to be and, yeah. you know, again, props to Ubisoft for sticking with this game, for putting it out. I think that this happened nowadays, this never sees the light of day. This, you know, maybe goes through like a year of development and it just dies uh, just because of the risk averseness of the industry. And and Ubisoft in general, like they don't, they do sometimes put out new franchises like Watch Dogs got what, three versions of it. Uh, Assassin's Creed is now in like its 30th game or whatever. So uh, they do sometimes make make uh, risks occasionally, but they don't typically stick with things as long anymore. It's just a different industry than it was uh, 20 years ago. But 2003 was a really good year for the GameCube. Just reading that list now, like Wind Waker, yeah. one of Kira, or Kira's, your favorite game of all time, basically one of yeah, the, favorite. the favorite game of all time. Mike, Mike and I too, yeah. it's in our top five, top 10 probably mario kart double dash one of the best mario kart games of all time um so beyond good and evil i i guess not an exact ranking but where does that game rank kind of in your internal gamecube memory or your internal gamecube best of list is it top 10 top 20 no no not not that high no okay i bet it would make like i don't say top 50 that sounds a bit that's a bit too too large but that's just 500 sports uh, games maybe, after maybe... <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe top 30 i'll say that Okay. Top yeah, 30. I think it is like a, a a mid to high tier. Uh, like the eight out of tens that I see for it, oftentimes seven out of tens. I'm like, yep, yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, I think because whenever I this year I started a tradition where like whenever I finish a game, I make sure I give it like a a score. So I gave it a seven out of ten. So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I would say it's yeah good to great at times. Definitely has its issues and. Uh, playing it today is you know different going back to it and at the time too it did have its its problems but at the end of the day like it's a great story the game works it runs terrifically uh, made by a good team made by a, a great developer with Michelle Ancel a uh, great visionary and the game was created after a glitch was found in Rayman 2 I don't know if we talked about that yet but 
basically, there was this part of the game where they found in Rayman 2 that with a certain glitch, Rayman could glide on some kind of a craft above the game. And they basically pitched Beyond Good and Evil based on that glitch alone. That's so random. <laughs> it's incredibly random. So without Rayman 2, we would not be talking about this game today. I love it when game concepts are created out of some glitch or some random little thing that happens in another game. It's a really neat thing to happen. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we need another Rayman game to uh, it, to inspire Beyond Good and Evil 2 to come out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's the only way we're going to get it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with that, Neil, I think it's time for us to read the back of the case. What do you think? All right. Sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Expose the... Jesus, I can't say conspiracy. (laughs) Expose the conspiracy. Capture the truth. A government conspiracy. Record. I can't say conspiracy today. <laughs> a government conspiracy wreaks havoc on the planet Hillis. As the rebellious action reporter Jade, you must penetrate your leader's web of lies and expose their horrific secrets. In a world of deception, believe in nothing except yourself. I'd also like to talk about the cover, mm. of course. Um, and and I, oh, on the back of that case, Neil, does it say the Zelda for adults? Uh, no, it does not. There are no IGN GameSpy quotes. Ah. Not on ours anyway, mate. Hmm. All right, that must be um, must have been just a European thing. It also has one saying it was runner-up for the 2003 adventure game for the GameCube, which is quite specific. But oh, okay, that's Ooh, interesting. That... Yes, there are some differences there between the uh, North American and the PAL version of the uh, box art. So, Mike, why don't you let us know what are the differences between what the Europeans got and what we got? Well, the PAL version is just way better. Like honestly, <laughs> uh, it, it's really cool. It's got Jade kind of holding her camera. Uh, and looking back with some light and, and stuff uh, behind her, the city and everything, it looks really clean, looks good. I could totally save this for today. Uh, the North American version is a, kind of a darker uh, style version where you see uh, her more and like in that CG kind of style, which is not great to see nowadays. Uh, and she's just holding her camera very much like in the frame. Uh, the city and the aliens are, are really right behind her with a big kind of Big Brother style posters on the on the right side. And that ga- that cover just screams early 2000s to me. It's very kind of generic in that sense. I love the the palette cover way, way more. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that I've got the better one there, I have to say. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen the um the other one. It's like, yeah, it's not as good. It'd be interesting to see what uh, what they do if they ever put out Beyond Good and Evil 2. I know they did change the logo for it, of course, and it's uh, it just looks like the Last of Us logo. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's uh, very generic as well, so I don't know what's happening with that. Uh, of course, this is a trilogy, so maybe we'll see a different logo for Beyond Good and Evil 3 <laughs> if that... Uh, that ever comes out but uh kira it's been great having you on as always uh before we let you go is there anything else you'd like to say about beyond good and evil i think that's it we'll cover everything right on boom easy yeah so a very interesting game not one of my favorites but a lot a lot of fun and yeah it's an interesting one the story around good and evil is almost as interesting as the game itself which is part of video games that i absolutely love i love hearing about games being developed games being uh, received negatively or positively by the public and then being able to look back and uh, talk about these games 20 years later and see like how this game particularly started out as being a commercial flop but has turned into this cult phenomenon and one of the um, you know like you said on top 10 lists of all time from from this generation and on some people's top 10 GameCube lists 
Um, so yeah, it's a terrific game. And we're, like we said, really happy to have you on. It's been a good conversation today. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for Metal Gear Solid. But before we see you then, uh, why don't we give you this time right now to talk about whatever you're working on? All right, so uh, I have a couple Instagram accounts. My main one is called uh, Toonie Twells, where I post about GameCube games, like the games I collect, what I'm playing at the minute, like mini reviews, that sort of thing. Uh, recently, I've also started doing live streams, so I'm playing Wind Waker at the minute, so it's a lot <gasps> of fun. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in my defense, in my defense, people requested it, so I, I didn't just pick it. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, I have my other account called Tales of the Great Sea, which is mainly Zelda content, so... Man, if they awesome. finally do announce that uh, Wind Waker HD remake on Switch, you are going to have a lot of content on your hands to uh, to be posting and uh, streaming. So fingers crossed that they do announce that. I've heard rumors of a direct a Switch Direct happening at some point. So hopefully we yeah, can see Wind Waker I mean, I don't, again. I don't, I don't own a Switch, so I mean, what? I don't know what will happen. Oh, man. No, I don't. <laughs> She's not going to own one until the GameCube uh, <laughs> library is on there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've been meaning to tell you for a while, but it just, I don't know, it just felt awkward. But, yeah, I'll just say I don't own a Switch, but I used to. But I sold it just to because I wasn't really using it. But I appreciate that. Reject modern gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just embrace game. Yeah. yeah, you're playing the <laughs> only console that matters. So exactly. I mean, <laughs> right until again, until the GameCube virtual library is on the Switch, then uh, GameCube is the only thing that matters uh, in our lives as well. But uh, <laughs> also, uh, great GameCube shirt. We gotta gotta give you a shout out to that on uh, Akira's page, Toonie Twirls. She picked up a GameCube shirt and. Just any GameCube merch is great, so it's always good to see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you next week, Kira. Have a have a good week. All right, thank you. Bye. Right, bye. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kira, for coming on today. Always a pleasure. We love talking to you about all things GameCube. And, uh, you know, she doesn't have a Switch, but that's okay, Neil. She has the GameCube, and she is going to be a great resource for us for the next couple of episodes, for sure, And as we wind down the GameCube library. Yeah, no, it's really fun to have her on. I think she's coming up on being one of our top callers, I suppose, our guests on the show, whatever you want to call it. It's great to have had her on for a bunch of the Zelda games and and uh, now Beyond Good and Evil. She's she's really great. And like I love her Instagram page. She's a huge GameCube supporter. As she said, she doesn't own any current gen consoles. GameCube is basically it. So love that. Love that she played Beyond Good and Evil for the first time just a year ago. Um, so hopefully she can get Beyond Good and Evil 2 uh, in the near future. But uh, 2029, baby. 2029, baby. It's going to be a good year for Ubisoft, man. <laughs> <laughs> and Breath of the Wild 2. Mm, no. <laughs> and Final Fantasy 16. You know, it's 2029. Is That's what we're looking forward to. Maybe even the Hogwarts game. But oh, uh, uh, with that, Neil, I have a, a little thing to read here, of course, from 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. This is apparently a game that you must play before you die, which I agree with. Amazing. We haven't had a game to talk about from uh, from that book for quite a few weeks. So what does a thousand and one video games you must play before you die have to say about Beyond Good and Evil? Michelle Ansel's charming tale of deep space whimsy takes a recognizable gaming template, in this case the item-based advancement system and loose dungeon structure of the Zelda series, and use it to spin out an entire action-adventure that feels like nothing else. Cast as a green-lipped lighthouse-dwelling journalist Jade, the player uncovers a vast conspiracy that threatens the peaceful mining planet of Hillis while exploring a variety of dingy factories and spooky caves, snapping pictures of the local wildlife and whacking enemies with a handy telescopic staff. 
What makes the game stand out though is its sense of place and character. It offers a distinctly European take on the future, while the moody palette of greys, silvers, and greens lends the game a melancholy and sophisticated air. Jade is a surprisingly human lead compared to most games, while Paige is perhaps one of the most endearing sidekicks in all video games. Uh, despite a tendency to repeat the, the phrase, say when, Jade, until you feel like pushing him off a cliff. <laughs> Ubisoft <laughs> continually proposes a sequel, which, given the reputation of the original adventure, has built up uh, since its rather quiet release, would probably make financial sense. But it's yet to be seen if we are going back to this particular future anytime soon. Just say when, Jade. Yeah, the Beyond Good and Evil 2 teasing is getting to be very annoying. Like, it's been mm -hmm. teased since 2008. It's been 14 years, and we've seen a trailer. Uh, if you go to Ubisoft's website, they, they, they have pages dedicated to Beyond Good and Evil 2. I have a feeling <laughs> pages. it'll... Nah, yeah, very good. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of like the uh, Mother 3 or Half-Life 3 uh, thing of the gaming industry. Beyond Good and Evil 2 is definitely in that camp but uh that's a really good uh, really good summary thousand and one mm -hmm. video games always saying things what basically what we want to say but more uh, succinct which i appreciate that but anyway mike it's time to move on to our closing statements of the day and of course we have to start off with our first one and that is do you recommend that the listeners out there pick up beyond good and evil and are you yourself interested in picking up beyond good and evil i think as a gamecube collector myself and and wanting to play this on the actual gamecube i would love to get a copy of it for the cube but it's uh it's quite expensive, as we know, and it doesn't look as good as it could have done back in that day. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to play this game would be on the Xbox 360, as I said before, on the uh, the HD remaster. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great game. I think you should definitely purchase it or find a way to play it somehow, because I think your life will be better after playing it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you there. I think that it's definitely a game worth playing. Is it worth playing on the GameCube? No, like I said at the beginning mm -hmm. of the episode, I really don't know what it is about the GameCube specifically that makes people want to pick it up. And it's definitely more expensive on the GameCube because of that half a million copies that the game sold. Probably, I'd have to guess, 70,000 copies of that is GameCube. So yep, that's why yep. there's just less copies of it. So if you have a PS2, you have an Xbox, you have a PC, probably play it there. I think you'd have a good time. It's a really short game too. It's 10 to 15 hours long, really. Uh, you can go for the complete run if you really want to, but I think that you're going to have a good time playing this game. If you're a fan of sci-fi, if you're a fan of Zelda, if you're a fan of action adventure games from this era, uh, you'll have a really good time. Uh, whether or not Beyond Good and Evil 2 is worth picking up, I still need to see a lot more of it. We've only really seen CG trailers, so until we actually yeah. see gameplay, I, I still think that game doesn't even really exist. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my thought. I, like I said at the beginning, I did own a copy of Beyond Good and Evil at one point and it didn't work and I returned it. So I would like <laughs> to replace my GameCube copy at some point. I'm running out of expensive GameCube games to buy, but this one will forever be on that list. So before it shoots up to $200, I should probably pull the trigger while I can find it between a <laughs> hundred and 120. But, uh, Mike, what do you think is the future of Beyond Good and Evil? Do you think that we'll ever see the sequel come out? And better still, do you think that we'll see Beyond Good and Evil remade or remastered? I think we will definitely see the sequel come out at some point in our lifetime. Now, I'm not I'm not putting a number on it because it's really tough to tell. Give me a year, that... Mike. Give me a year. <laughs> 2033. Oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's going to be a while. Uh, but I... I I would be stunned if Ubisoft. The only the only way Ubisoft doesn't put Beyond Good and Evil out is if they get bought by somebody, mm. and then just everything gets destroyed. That's like the only way I see them not putting it out. Uh, there's already been so much work done on it before. There's there's a very large fan interest in it. There's big communities ded dedicated still 
to Beyond Good and Evil. Beyond Good and Evil also, as like we talked about earlier, it's a trilogy. We just have one. There's supposed to be it's two crazy. more. It's crazy. So uh, it's uh, I, I would assume that we will one day get Beyond Good and Evil 2. I'm not sure what form that will take. I don't think it's going to take the form that we've been seeing for the trailers. I mean, they've also obviously changed the couple times we, they've come out. But uh, I think whatever trailer we see next will be completely different from the last trailer we saw in, what was it, Neil, 2018? Uh, 2017 was the first trailer. I don't know if there's been one since then. There may have been. The last that I heard of Beyond Good and Evil was in 2020 uh, because uh, Michel Ancel left Ubisoft due to yeah. some uh, some claims against him, which is unfortunate. But his projects, Beyond Good and Evil 2 and Wild, were, uh, he, he said these projects are both in good hands. They will get made. But once you leave a company, you really have no say in what gets made and what doesn't. So that <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean yeah. anything. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I think, like, I really do think they will put money into it for like financial purposes as well and like make this game come out at some point the the bigger question i think like you touched on there will beyond good and evil one get a remake or remaster i don't think so uh not unless the second one comes out and is successful well they didn't remake it in 2012 they remastered it which sure, is somewhat sure. different like they, they basically put the pretty version of the gamecube game on uh, ps3 xbox and pc yeah. uh but like it's it'd be so weird now to put out beyond good and evil 2 and have an entire generation of kids and like adults now who don't even remember this game being on shelves. Like it's just, yeah. it's almost too yeah. late now to put out two, like Beyond Good and Evil 2. You almost need to rename it something or like just put out, even the remaster is fine. You don't need to remake it from the ground up. I think, I think just giving it the PS4, Xbox One or PS5, Xbox Series X treatment uh, is totally fine. I'm sure it's probably playable in some way on Series X. I don't know. I feel like everything's on a Series X. We just don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know. I just get weirded out when, like, we get these sequels to games that are now 20 years old and, like, there hasn't been really any any reason to buy it. Like, Ubisoft aren't great at putting out remakes. They don't, they don't really remake much. I'm trying to think now before I eat my own words. I do know that they put a lot of, like, uh, collections out on PS3 especially. They put out, like, the Prince of Persia collections. They put out some Splinter Cell Assassin's collections, Creed. Assassin's Creed collections as well. I mean, they're going to keep putting out Assassin's Creed. That's basically what Ubisoft <laughs> does. Assassin's Creed, Just Dance, and Far Cry. That's what we can definitely count on. And I loved Ubisoft in the early 2010s. They were they were one of my favorite publishers. I just want to say real quick before we close out. And that's, like, like they were putting out Child of Light. They were putting out Valiant Hearts. They were doing the Rayman series again, which was really cool. And, yes, they were doing, like, they tried Watch Dogs, which was a new concept. Like, they were trying new stuff at yeah. the beginning of the PS4 and on the Wii U. That Zombie U game on Wii U was really fun. That's Ubisoft. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's a Ubisoft game. Ah, huh, that's cool. They were big supporters of the Wii U. <laughs> yeah, like I, I loved them in like 2012 to 2015. They were really good. And now they've just kind of become this, I don't know, like boring, stale like there's their logo doesn't mean anything to me anymore. They also remade the logo, which I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. No, bad. Mike's loco for that logo. <laughs> but anyway, I, I would love to see Ubisoft make a resurgence the same way that we're seeing that we've seen Capcom do in the last five years, the same way that I feel like mm. Konami is about to come go through. I think Ubisoft is overdue for something like that. So will the Beyond Good and Evil trilogy end? Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, I'm not going to live forever, but Beyond Good and Evil <laughs> probably will. So who am I to say it's never going to end? Mike, while we're sitting in our basements waiting for the Beyond Good and Evil trilogy to finally come to a close, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 112 of the GameCube was cool podcast. 
On episode 112, Neil, we are once again going back to just one game. I love this format. Just just doing one. I don't have to research 10 bad games. Mm. Get to research one good game. It's Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes for the Nintendo GameCube exclusive Metal Gear game for the GameCube. This is a game that I have never played, Neil. I've played Metal Gear. I've played five. I've played two. Uh, and I've played a couple others, but I have never actually played the exclusive GameCube one. And it was a bit of a later, uh, a later release on uh, the Cube as well. So I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. I am very much an outsider to Metal Gear. That's one of those video game franchises that I know very little about and for no particular reason. Like, I have no reason to actively dislike Metal Gear. Uh, mm. I know that the games are weird. Maybe that's something about it. I did play the first hour of... Be- of I almost said Beyond Good and Evil. I did play the first hour of Metal Gear Solid Five, the one on uh, PS4. And yeah. that first hour was really fun. And it's a good game. Yeah, it's really good. And then, but then it opens into like this open world game, and I was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but uh, really excited to talk about the random GameCube game that we got, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how Metal Gear got uh, snuck into Smash Bros as well. Nintendo's whole partnership with Metal Gear was really interesting in the mm-hmm. 2000s. So I'm really excited to talk about that with you next week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 111 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. Head on over to check out our merch store on TeePublic. Link to our store in the episode description. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Michelle on sell. Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. Tell Paige I say hi. Oh, you, you have a thing for Paige. Is this a game for furries? What do you think? Mm, a little bit. I, a little I, bit. Honestly, I just want to dress up as the rhinos for Halloween. Ooh, Beyond Good and Evil Halloween. <laughs> a group Halloween costume for Beyond Good and Evil. That would be a really deep cut.